Hello and welcome to the SIPS Queensland podcast where we interview Queensland professionals to get an insight to their careers, their highs, their lows, their wisdom and their advice. So let's check out today's podcast guest. Welcome to the SIPS Queensland podcast. My name is Ashley Turner and I am one of the SIPS Queensland committee members. Those that do not know me, I am a procurement specialist at Hastings Deering. And I am also SIPS Young Talent of the Year winner for 2019. But enough about me. I am so excited to introduce you all today's podcast guest, who is Jeff Westbrook, who is the Group Procurement Manager at St. Vincent's Health Australia. However, he started his journey as a registered nurse and has studied nursing, economics, philosophy, bioscience, and he's also supported the ACRAF, which is the Australian Catholic Villages Against Human Trafficking in the Fight of Modern Day Slavery. He's worked in various public and private sectors in industries, including banking, insurance, health and utilities, as well as running his own consulting company, which supported major customers like NAB and TransLink. He has mentored many of Brisbane's top procurement professionals and has even sponsored three of them to undertake the MBA at UQ and AGSM. Jeff has done all of this while managing his family and personal life, which includes a beautiful wife, four children, three grandchildren who are spread across Norway, Spain and Brisbane. So I am so excited to introduce Jeff Westbrook, welcome. Thanks, Ashley. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, always good to have an opportunity to speak to the uh, procurement community of Queensland. Yes, and they would be so excited to hear your story. Just listening to all of that, you have lived many lives throughout your career. Yeah. Yes, well, um, you know, I started my working career in the um, late uh, 1970s as a as a teenager, yeah, I'll just say that, and uh, I undertook um, various different training courses, ultimately leading to becoming a registered nurse, and then beyond that to becoming a specialist emergency nurse, uh, where I worked for quite a number of years in um, New South Wales and Queensland, uh, which was uh, a very challenging uh, job for those of you out there who might know emergency nurses, um, and particularly in the current climate. Those people are front and centre mm. in what is pretty much a, a bit of a national and global catastrophe at the moment. So uh, full kudos to all of those people out there doing mm. that particular job today. Definitely. And I'm sure everyone wants to know, the first question I want to ask you is how did you go from being a registered nurse to being an executive procurement manager that's been through your banking and insurance industries? Tell us there. Take us back. How did you get there? Yeah, look, I think the, the the key answer to that is get outside of your comfort zone and do it quickly and get used to that. Um, but having said that, um, I did have a, a long career as a nurse and it was a very challenging career and a bit of a tour of duty at the front line um, uh, from, the, from the time of being a teenager until I was in my uh, mid to late 30s. That's all I'd ever done. So I'd only mm. ever seen hardship and um, major tragedy and lots of sick and injured people and, and I think um, um, that eventually will take its toll on anybody um, and, and so 
fortunately for me, I was mentored by um, uh, very caring and um, uh, well-intentioned people who helped me transition to somebody else when that time finally came. And um, I had opportunities to do different roles within health before I went out of health. And I went from being um, a registered nurse to being a hospital accreditation coordinator, which was uh, really about implementing um, standards and performance indicators across a broad range of health issues, um, where I learned some project management skills because obviously it was a, quite a big project. Uh, from there, I went to commissioning a hospital. So the, when the Caboolture Hospital was initially built, I was the commissioning officer who did all of the fit out mm. of the FF&E. And so um, uh, I, that was really my first exposure to hardcore procurement, so building mm. a bill of materials for a whole new uh, facility and then working out how to transact to buy all of those materials uh, with some guidance from uh, the then um, um, district um, manager who had procurement experience um, and some on-the-job rapid learning and some training around government procurement processes in Queensland. And so that was um, a successful project. And from there, I went to being um, a hospital administration manager, so working on the non-clinical side of the hospital where I had accountability for service contracts, so buying service contracts for the hospital. Mm. And from there, I was recruited to Queensland Health as the um, um, inaugural IT um, contracts and um, commercial managers. So, and that was just prior to the mad spend of Y2K. So uh, then I had a long, well, not a long period, but at least an intensive couple of years of um, learning about IT procurement and really honing skills around that. Mm. And um, that really led to a situation where it came to the attention of various consultants throughout um, Brisbane, as you know, that they work in all sorts of organisations. And um, they had recommended to uh, Suncorp Metway at the time that they should come and approach me uh, around getting their house in order post the merger of um, Suncorp and GIO. Uh, and I came in there as the my first job in the private sector was as um, the IT procurement and contracts manager for Suncorp Medway. Um, and my role was to, uh, part of that merger and acquisition, to bring together all the IT assets under a single banner for those two organisations. So um, that was a baptism of fire. And um, all of these things, I guess that's why I say, they're all characterised by... Um, getting out of your comfort zone and realising um, that you can do it um, if you really apply yourself. So I was very reluctant to take the job at Suncorp, of course, because um, I was leaving the health system, which I knew very well, going into an industry I didn't know. And um, again, I had some really strong encouragement at the time from a mentor who said, look, you know, the, the reality is uh, the risks are very different and... Um, uh, no one's going to die in um, in banking and insurance, you know, so it's not going to be the same level of risk and stress that you're mm -hmm. used to facing. And that proved to be the case. So I took with me um, many years of having dealt with very difficult situations and um, making rapid decisions for people in um, life-threatening events and things like that. So um, it didn't take long, really, to get used to that. And um, that was really the beginning of my... Uh, uh, I guess, substantive procurement career as an executive because mm -hmm. I went on from there being um, manager of IT procurement to executive manager of all strategic sourcing, then to general manager, uh, general manager of our offshore outsourcing enterprise 
and then ultimately executive general manager uh, of procurement and um, also payroll at one stage, believe it or not. So, so it was quite a quite a journey, mm-hmm. and um, um, uh, and I'd have to say, uh, working for an organisation like Suncor, uh, where they do invest a lot of time and effort into uh, mentoring and training their leaders, it was a really good opportunity to really develop skills as an executive, as opposed to procurement. So mm-hmm. I didn't really uh, have to spend a lot of time learning about procurement because now I was leading people who were doing procurement, not actually doing it myself. Wow. I was going to say, like, how do people, I love hearing how people fell into procurement, but when I listened to your story, you didn't really fall. It was really organic where your path sort of led you, and now you've ended up back in health again. Yeah, well, I've done a few things since Suncorp, though. So um, sadly, I became very ill when I was at Suncorp, and uh, mm. I had a, a, a long period of recovering from that, and um, and it was, I think, too intensive a job to go back into after something mm-hmm. like that. So I had a bit of a break, and then the phone rang one day, and um, uh, a friend of mine wanted somebody to fill a role at um, Urban Utilities as the CPO that hadn't mm-hmm. gone well. So I spent a year in there um, doing that, which was really interesting, learning about that industry. And mm-hmm. um, again, it's a leadership role, so it's less about your technical skills and more about leadership and um, finding the right people and organising the right structure and organising the work correctly. Um, And at that stage, um, whilst I was doing that job, I was approached by the Public Service Commissioner to take a job in um, uh, Queensland Health, um, which was largely to do with contestability and um, outsourcing parts of the business. And, of course, at that time, the government changed and um, contestability and... Uh, the sale of government assets was a bit of an issue, so that fell reasonably flat. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, they decided to ask me to take on the challenge of building the portfolio office for Queensland Health. So I spent then another year building out the portfolio of projects and um, financial requirements and mm-hmm. um, building the governance with the various district health services and their executives and boards in order that we had um a pretty solid P3 process to work through um, concept briefs, preliminary mm. business cases and things like that. So it was more than around applying the um, business acumen learned from banking insurance now back into health. So, um, uh, and, and then, of course, that was contract role and eventually came to an end and I thought, well, what do I do now? So I went out on my own and um, I put the shingle up and put the feelers out and um, you know, I started doing work for various other organisations and ultimately I did a big piece of work for NAB and found myself back in banking and really wasn't where I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and then the phone rang one day and it was um, St Vincent's um, who'd uh, used corporate headhunters to find somebody who had clinical experience, executive experience and procurement experience. And so um, I guess I ticked all of those boxes and now I've been at St Vincent's for just over three years as the head of procurement uh, for the um, um, the public-private hospitals and the residential aged care business. So, um, yeah, it's a good opportunity to return um, some learnings back into health mm-hmm. after many, many years and, um, um, you know, just to show my gratitude as well, having been uh, on the um, receiving end of uh, receiving some very intensive healthcare treatment here in Queensland. Yes. I love your journey. I love that. It's like you've um, 
you've gone from one industry and then you've taken all that knowledge from that sort of finance industry and you've done the same thing. It's like same, same but different and had to apply it back to the the health industry. I love that. But one question I'd love to ask is I love understanding people's sort of perception versus reality when it comes to procurement. And what I mean by that is what did you think it was going into it and then what was it really once you were in there? Yeah, look, I think that changes depending on the role and the circumstance and um, uh, the organisation that you work in. Um, My original forays um, into procurement in um, Queensland Health uh, were there was a a lot of policy and a lot of policy compliance and a lot of process to follow uh, around um, equity and transparency and um, uh, um, obtaining value for money and those sorts of things. And it was quite a lot of process, but along the way, um, I'd been exposed to people that were professional negotiators and th- those sorts of skill sets. And you soon learn that um, um, it's it's it, even a really solid procurement process around um, working up to tenders and running tenders and that sort of thing really only lands you in the position where you start negotiating. That is not the end of the game, and mm-hmm. um, the real work starts when that's over and you're sitting across the table from your supplier or your chosen business partner and now you're negotiating the terms and conditions of that contract, including the commercial objectives, and trying to align the cultures of the organisations and the way of working. And mm-hmm. and so um, that, that varies in different organisations and it depends to the extent which you're buying. So if you're buying uh, goods or materials, that's uh, a fairly easy exchange. But once you get into outsourcing parts of your business to a business partner mm-hmm. and handing it off and making sure it's working, that's a lot more complex piece of work. And so I think over time, um, your level of skill will take you and expose you to different levels of procurement and different forms of procurement. And um, and it's those commercial skills and your strategic ability, um, your soft skills, mm-hmm. your communication skills, your stakeholder management, those sorts of things are are the things that you really need to enhance as you go through that. And I think the perception of some people might be it's, uh, you know, I've bought things on eBay, I know about procurement or I might shop. And yes, that's true. Um, but it just depends on the complexity of what you're doing and um, the importance of what you're doing for the business that you're doing it for and also its cost and value as well. So, so I think um, clearly it is very much... Uh, a set of professional standards that people should aspire to is what I would describe procurement as. Mm. And people often say, well, what's the difference between procurement and purchasing? So yes. that's often a big question. <laughs> and I'm sure that's one that's been debated by SIPSA, given the name of SIPSA um, and, and how that's uh, emanated from the UK. But for me, procurement is about the entire value chain. So, you know, you start at one end with... Um, your analytics capability and um, your um, market approach capability, your materials planning, um, your management of suppliers, and then that goes down the value chain to the whole purchase-to-pay system, you know, the process around purchase ordering, um, goods inwards, receipting, accounting, mm-hmm. the thing that builds the data for your um, analytics team uh, through to warehousing and distribution, um, that type of thing. So it, 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 if... if if I ever talk about procurement, I mean the whole thing, not just part of it. Um, otherwise, I'd talk about purchasing or strategic sourcing or analytics or whatever the case may be. 
No, that's a good point because I even get that in my workplace. Is it procurement purchasing? And my eye twitches a little bit. I'm like, no, it's not. But thank you for giving me your sort of spiel about that. I'll take that on and I'll feed that back to them. Sure. Something I would love to know is what has been your biggest challenge throughout your procurement sort of career? Uh, yeah, well, there's, I guess um, there's a couple of key things that I think are challenging from a procurement career perspective. One is building the prominence of procurement in the organisation that you work for. So if you're the procurement leader, it's up to you to position the importance of procurement in the organisation and how does it fit with the business, how is it seen externally by the market. Um, and, and that's not a small challenge. Um, and as you say, people will even debate the, the title of procurement or, or the title of the role, and I'm never wedded to the title of the role, you know what I mean? I'm more interested in what is the strategy and where does the strategy fit with the organisation and do you have a seat at the table and is procurement aligned with the core business of the organisation to give it that, that level of importance. So that's that's uh, one big challenge. And then I guess beyond that, um, as you become a leader, it's more about building the team and tr teaching, training, mentoring, uh, recruiting, selecting, building the culture, getting all of those people on the same journey, um, all supporting the strategy and the culture of the team. Um, and and that's, that's probably been not only my, my biggest challenge, I think, but also my biggest achievement because I've mm -hmm. had some very, very good teams, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, over a long period of time. And, and the team I have now is uh, first class as well. So, so that's, uh, that's probably the whole challenge stake mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, maybe in relation to sp some specific exercises, um, um, setting up, setting up a, a, an offshore team in India, that was a bit of a challenge. You know, from a cultural perspective, travel and uh, all of that sort of thing. That was a pretty tough job. As it would be. <laughs> Different cultures and stuff like that. And I'm sure being in the health industry at the moment, what has it been like being on that sort of front line of procurement and having to manage that sort of COVID impact? Sure, yeah. Look, um, um, even leading up to um, COVID, there was an intense period of uh, what I would call almost like an economic downturn in health where um, um, people have been moving away from private health insurance. We run a big business mm -hmm. that has the main part of our organisation is private hospitals and elective surgery. And so we had been doing an intense program of cost optimisation on the revenue and cost side in health, which is quite a complex piece of work around utilisation of assets and people, as well as a material supply chain that has 360,000 different um, single items sitting in the category, in the catalogue, sorry. So so all of that was uh, a very challenging piece, just trying to uh, um, wrestle with the balance sheet and get it in good shape, and then came along um, uh, the um, sudden impact of COVID-19. And for us, that meant um, uh, the government regulated to stop the main part of our business. So we had to cease elective surgery and stand in abeyance in order to be able to support um, COVID. And for us, we also have two very large public hospitals, one in Darlinghurst in Sydney and one in Fitzroy in Melbourne, which have kind of been epicentres of um, COVID in, in Australia. So... Um, we had a frontline response, and so 
what suddenly changed is um, a, a shift of focus away from a very broad range of high-tech um, inputs into the business to a very narrow range of um, low-cost inputs that changed dramatically in volume. And by that, I'm talking about personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of debates now in the media around the wearing of masks and gowns and face shields and eye protection and things like that. So where once upon a time we would buy um, a pallet of masks and a couple of pallets of gloves every month, now we buy them in the container loads. And so then space became an issue. We had to partner with our 3PL partner to set up um, warehousing distribution centres in Sydney and Melbourne in order to be able to manage the volume of PPE we distribute to the sites. Um, but also just now, um, um, you know, um, dealing with the ramifications of this as an infectious disease, um, not only does it infect the community, it infects our staff as well. So now we're in the front line, our staff are getting infected. That places more pressure on the organisation as we struggle to staff or to keep the staff up to the challenge of 24-7 um, shifts. Um, and, and so then the change in nature of the work for our frontline staff uh, where, say, once in the private hospitals, um, you typically don't see people pass away in a private hospital. They're generally well people, come and have surgery, go home fairly quickly. Now we have people coming in sick and they're dying in the hospital. And so that's a really difficult situation for, for those people in the front line. Commercially, um, it changed the entire dynamic of the market in terms of supply and demand, of course. So suddenly um, global freight is impacted, um, manufacturers in, impacted because a lot of the manufacturer was coming out of China, um, uh, the availability of raw materials, the demand on things like uh, materials to make disposable gloves, um, polypropylene to make masks and gowns, all of those things have resulted in massive price increases on a product where we've also had a massive increase in use. So we have a lot of commercial tension now around controlling that. And so um, it's not just St Vincent's, it will be all the public health organisations and every other private health organisation in Australia will be facing the same dilemma, this massive change in the dynamic of the market. Mm. And what would be your advice to those sort of companies that need to manage their supply chain post sort of COVID? So I know, for example, at Hastings Deering, we went into panic mode and our people were trying to purchase like pallets of masks and I'm like, we don't need that. Stop, let's put a pause on it. So what would your advice be for other companies? Yeah, look, um, I think uh, a lot of sophisticated procurement organisations would normally practice just-in-time procurement, which means they would have their supply chain set up with a fairly good understanding of what they consume, how much they consume and the cycles of consumption, and you would set your um, SKUs, your min-max in the SKUs and min-max in the PARs accordingly, and no different for us. Um, and so, you know, just-in-time worked very well under normal circumstances, but now in a crisis it doesn't work so well. And so now the... The new talk is um, not just in time procurement, it's just in case procurement. So, so what things do we need to procure now just in case we can't get them in the future? And that's consequently what we've done is partnered with our um, 3PL partner, Clifford Hallam, uh, to rent warehouse space, um, container handling capability, palletisation capability, materials handling catalogue, so that they can store it and we can point the catalogue 
at our facilities so they can draw down very quickly on those massive um, um, stocks when required. But I think what it's done is it's really questioned everybody's thinking around risk management. How good is your risk register when you start to talk about supply chain risk? And, you know, let's face it, we've had the odd volcano that stopped a bit of air freight in Asia and we've had um, uh, major storms and things that may have taken our production in, in Central and South America. Uh, but this is the first time we've had a universal, global, um, invisible thing that's really um, impacted the supply chain in multiple industries and particularly in logistics. And mm -hmm. so when you think about how many um, passenger flights used to uh, be taking place globally on a daily basis, all of those flights were, were using their excess capacity to haul freight. Um, that all just suddenly stopped and so things slowed down and, and now that whole assessment of risk in the supply chain, um, which we've redone recently, is a very different set of risks and um, controls. And as I say, um, um, pandemic preparedness um, is, is now uh, front and centre for us and we've been very serious about how we've um, taken that on. Mm. Well, that's really important to adapt to the change in circumstances because it was unforeseen. We didn't have this all on our strategy plans for the, the financial year to be managing something like this. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think we actually did, and, and I think government did have pandemic planning, mm. but I don't think anybody ever really thought we would have a, a pandemic mm. of this extent and mm. of this impact. Yes, so this is, this is a, a good reminder to the world um, that these things do occur and mm. you do need to have a plan. Definitely. And speaking of adapting to change, talking about, I guess, hot procurement trends up and coming over the next sort of few years. And you've been in procurement for a while. You've been in IT. You've explored different sort of areas of it. What are some of those procurement trends that have already started happening or will be, you can see coming in the, I guess, the next few years that we can start preparing for now? Mm. Yeah, look, I think um, whilst procurement changes, the laws of economics don't. Um, and I think... Um, Supply and demand and scale obviously um, play a major role in procurement. And other than um, just-in-case procurement, which I think is going to be a new uh, phrase that you hear a lot more in procurement now, um, I think the big thing is really digitisation. And um, most young people are pretty familiar with picking up their iPhone and um, logging into a catalogue of goods and services either eBay or Amazon or appliances.com, whatever. And really what you're seeing is quite sophisticated catalogues um, that have been built and back-ended by contracts and supply chains. And so mm -hmm. it's all pictorial. It's easy to navigate. You flick through. It's got a search engine. You can find what you want. You see what you want. You throw it into a shopping basket. You check out and pay for it. And um, it's um, quite an uh, easy experience. So it's not a complicated thing to do. I think the big challenge for procurement professionally in organisations is because so many of your customer base now have experience in doing that, if you persist with traditional procurement methods that are obstructive, slow, um, don't meet the customer's expectation, I think those sort of procurement structures will become dinosaurs. You have to move with the times and get with digitisation, digitise your catalogue, um, interface with your suppliers, so that you're not building the catalogue for them, they build the catalogue for you. Mm -hmm. um, you are you're able to workflow and approve that catalogue. You're able to negotiate the price of that catalogue. 
you're able to work with the market more broadly around logistics to make sure that you've got the lowest possible costs and best possible handling arrangements mm -hmm. uh, for your organisation around those materials and services. And um, uh, fundamentally, things like blockchain are coming into procurement now, uh, which is starting to really address scale. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, we're seeing the emergence of um, things like buyer management groups on a much larger scale. So that's a very hot topic in, mm -hmm. uh, in health. And um, I've had the opportunity to travel to America in uh, not so recent times to have a look at how that's done in health. And, uh, for example, um, our Catholic cousin Ascension in um, the US has 150-odd big hospitals in their group. It makes it quite a large organisation, and they have a biomanagement group that they own uh, that supplies all of those sites with one ERP, one supply chain system, one set of contracts. And so it's quite sophisticated in terms of scale. And, of course, the pricing is very different when you can get to that scale and you can manage compliance to that level. So, so I think um, we're going to see more of that in our own um, geography where people of similar industries and similar dispositions that are not necessarily competitors will come together to build biomanagement groups and try and increase scale um, in, in order to achieve better pricing. Mm, I'm excited for all that because digital's not going anywhere. It's just going to keep amplifying and you've got to change or you're not going to be, uh, you're going to be left behind. Elon Musk is going to come along <laughs> and take over. Well, I've done quite a few mergers and acquisitions in my career and and um, they're made complex by different systems of doing things and um, where they have been successful is where you're able to roll uh, one organisation's um, um, systems across the other fairly effectively in order to bring about change and um, making sure that you're um, delivering the synergies that the shareholders expect. Mm. Um, and so having... You know, if you're if you're the architect of that, and your organisation has a very well developed um, pictorial catalogue, um, a scalable um, system in the cloud that can be deployed anywhere uh, rapidly, you stand a better chance of being the um, the person taking over rather than getting overtaken, if that makes sense. So, um, you want to be on the mm. agile, effective uh, side of the ledger, and that then allows you to um, achieve all of those synergies. Mm. Speaking of your, um, you mentioned the tech-savvy sort of generation, the young procurement professionals coming through. What's some advice that you would give them that you wish you received in your earlier career? Uh, yeah, look, um, to, to embrace the technology, not to fear it, mm -hmm. uh, to get involved when change comes along, to be informed, um, and um, to align your skills to it. So technology is here to stay. So, in, for example, in my first foray into IT procurement, it was relatively new, mm -hmm. um, but it was growing rapidly. And I remember at the time a lot of people saying, yeah, well, it just won't catch on. I don't know why we're doing this because it's not going to be here next week. Well, part of that was true. Things changed so rapidly that the systems we had one year we didn't have the next year, but they did grow rapidly. And it has penetrated an awful lot of the market. And, for example, uh, when I started in Suncorp, um, um, it had a big branch network and so did GIO have a big branch network and most of the 
um, banking and insurance products were sold face-to-face across the counter. They'd only just made a foray into call centres and selling things uh, over the phone. And by the time I left there in um, 2012, I think it was, um, a significant proportion of their products are actually sold online through a digital channel uh, uh, via the internet, not via the call centre and certainly not via uh, branch networks. And so um, the market does change. And, and I think um, I think most procurement people would have read the Kodak case study where um, they said, well, you know, we're going to stick with making film and somebody else went off down the path of making digital cameras and the rest is history. So, so I think you have to be visionary, you have to embrace that, and you have to listen to the younger generation and have to observe the younger generation's habits um, and the things that they adopt. And my kids are a lot better at it than I am, that's for sure, and I watch intently when they use a phone or whatever. They're a lot more skillful than us older people. <laughs> you sound so passionate about what you've done within your career and procurement. So what's something that you love about procurement? Why have you stayed in procurement for so long? What's kept you there? Yeah, look, I think it gives you a unique and broad view of the business that you work in and you build a lot of internal business relationships and you can get involved in the pointy end of the business, mm-hmm. um, ensuring that the business is successful, um, that the people in the business are successful, um, and it allows you to have a portable set of skills that will work across many different industries and organisations and so um, I'm not aware of too many uh, procurement people that are ever out of work for long and if you're good at it, um, you're, you, people will be calling you, you won't be calling them and um, I mean I don't ever, other than having my own business, uh, I don't ever recollect going looking for a job so mm. most of the time uh, people came to me and asked me if I was interested in taking something on so I think it also then allows you to build your reputation um, um, and the suppliers are often your best advocate as well because the suppliers like to deal with professional procurement people um, and they will let others know uh, who's good and who's not. So your reputation always goes with you in that regard. So it's really important how you carry yourself in the, in the um, broader market as well. Your reputation is everything in procurement. I think it's fair to say that there are a number of procurement professionals in Australia at the moment that are currently uh, residing in institutions um, uh, that, that are um, called jails because they haven't carried themselves and they haven't remembered what their role is as a procurement leader. They took a selfish view and not the, not the best view for the company or for the end customer. And, and I think um, um, that's probably a sound piece of advice is to always look at procurement as, as if you're the last person down the line that's going to buy this product and are you happy with the product are you happy with the quality of the product are you happy with the price of the product and wherever that is the case and wherever that question is being asked anywhere in the world that is something to do with somebody in procurement that's good advice you've already answered one of my questions (laughs) with that advice and reflecting on your career journey what has been your biggest highlight uh, look, I think I alluded to this before, that it was really around building um, teams and so building really mm-hmm. strong teams. Um, you know, I went through the global financial crisis in banking we had a, uh, and insurance. We had a strong team and we were able to, um, uh, you know, move very quickly to be able to shore up the, the business and the balance sheet. 
Uh, we had really good engagement. Um, you know, uh, mentored a lot of those people. We sponsored a lot of those um, really high high performers to undertake their MBAs, and the company sponsored them. And to see those people come through, and to see them achieve um, executive status um, as professionals, um, probably is the highlight. I love that. And my final question for you is around what is your work motto? What's your work mantra? Yeah, I, I used to have an old one, but I had to, I've had to park it in health because it's probably less appropriate. But when I went from health to banking and insurance, I used to my motto used to be uh, nobody died here today. You know what I mean? So it didn't matter how bad things went, nobody died from it. So I don't say that anymore. Um, now I've gone back to adopting um, a saying that my um, uh, grandfather always used to use to me, which was uh, measure twice and cut once. Yeah. And so. So read into that. Be very careful with your analysis of things and check all your facts first before you act, basically, is is uh, what that means. Well, thank you so much. There is so much information that I learned from that. Three things that I caught from that was number one is around developing your teams, mentoring them, seeing your team's success to become executives themselves. That I agree with you. When I am a leader one day, that's going to be one of my biggest highlights or things that I would want to push for to empower my people to achieve what they want to achieve. Number two was around your reputation. I loved that. You have to be careful because vendors both and inside your company, we're very active in networking sort of people in industries and within your business. So be careful around your reputation and the deals that you accept and everything like that around ethics. I love that. And I'm going to steal this one from you that was just in case. So not just in time anymore, just in case. So I love that advice around your supply chain. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I hope that everyone has learned something from this. You've had a wealth of knowledge within your career and I'm excited to see what you keep doing <laughs> within your career. Where are you going to end up? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I think I'm probably getting close to the end of my career and I'm very happy working for Safins. It's a very good organisation, um, great egalitarian spirit, um, doing the right thing out there for the community, uh, not just providing mm. um, traditional health services, but we also provide refugee health services, homeless health services, prison health services, the things that other organisations mm. don't want to get involved in, uh, we use our um, our revenue and our capability and our networks to do those things. So it's good to be a part of it. Yeah. It'd be fulfilling to be part yes. of that, that vision and that purpose. Mm. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time once again, and I'm so excited to share this podcast with our SIT community. Uh, thanks, Ashley. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.